Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 152 with my friend Amy Harrison, or Amy Liz Harrison, depending on where you're following her and what name she chooses to use. Amy has quite a story, and I have a huge realization in the middle of her story about what she's saying. Uh, I won't spoil that because I'm still like, wait, what? Um, and I, it's just really amazing. She's been able to accomplish so many things um, in her life, and, and she's barely older than I am. It's crazy. Um, and counting some ADHD in there as well. It's great. I, I'm so happy I got to talk to her, and I know you guys are going to be just as inspired by her story as I was, so I'll let you get to it. Without further ado, here's my friend, Amy. You and I have lots in common. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my Perfect. friend? Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Well, wonderful. Well, I, I appreciate you doing this. Um, sorry for the late Zoom invite. I, I went to start the Zoom and I was like, how come it's not in the schedule? And I was like, oh no. Oh no, the worst has happened. <laughs> no, trust me. And and you and I, we've had this conversation. We're the same. So it's like the ADHD yeah. thing is like, I mean, I'm sitting here going, well, I probably messed it up. I probably have it somewhere in this pile of stuff, you know, uh -huh. but yeah, all good. Yeah. <laughs> and utilizing every moment until this. I started setting little timers because I'm doing just this big side project and I get completely like lost in time when I'm doing it. So Oh, set little yeah. like timers like okay you can do this for like 48 minutes <laughs> yep. then you got to go do other shit um it's hard to switch gears it is um on yeah. that note i'm going to intentionally switch gears right now <laughs> and say um hello welcome i'm glad you're here uh i'm gonna turn myself down a little bit and uh i usually start these out with how i know people and you and me know each other through the sober curator and yeah. now uh, I was just this week, I was a guest on your podcast. And um, if you guys don't know where to find that, you can go to justinlayamusic.com and there will be a link there. Um, and that was, a, that was a pleasure getting to talk to you. I was about to say getting to know you, but we're about to do that now. I don't think I, I, don't think I accomplished that in, in your interview of me. But through The Sober Curator, we're both uh, living that sober life. Uh, through two, I believe, distinctly different journeys, and I'm excited to find out more about yours. Uh, but what I like to do is kind of rewind and start start at the beginning, if you will. You're born. <laughs> uh, you're out in Washington now. Where were you born in Washington? No, um, actually, I was born in Los Angeles. Oh, and uh, that's why we... you had a drinking problem. <laughs> Surprise, right? <laughs> and then um, we moved up to the Bay Area, Silicon Valley when I was a year old. And okay. that's where I grew up before college back in LA and then back to Silicon Valley. And then now, yeah, here in Seattle ever since okay. 2001. So always a West Coast person though. Yes. Just back and forth. Um, what does it look like growing up? Do you have any siblings? I do. I have one. Uh, he is six years younger than me, okay. um, a boy, and he is also now here in the Seattle area, and my parents are as well. So that's kind nice. of fun. We just all kind of migrated together. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, six years is long enough to where I'm wondering, do you remember him being born? Absolutely. It was, in fact, it was the day that the Challenger disaster oh my God. occurred. Yeah. yeah. So the, it's kind of significant, sticks out in my mind. But um, For sure. I think he was a disruptor because I was hoping to be the center of attention yeah. forever in my parents' lives. But then I had to kind of share the spotlight. And now... I love it. I'm super glad we, uh, you know, we're together on this whirling ball of mud and water and earth. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, looking back now, like reflecting back and you kind of just hinted at it. Do you remember what your initial feelings were about like, what are you talking about? There's going to be another kid here. <laughs> I'm the kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of, yeah, I was, I was kind of a lonely kid in one sense okay. where I really felt kind of like I was on the outskirts of uh, everybody's connections and kind of wanted to always be a part of, but at the same time, I was kind of in that weird, like, but wait a minute, this means I'm not special anymore. So how's this going to work? Yeah. <laughs> How am I going to find my place? That age difference also, I'm sure, brings up a bunch of different dynamics as as he's getting older. Where did you find yeah. yourself as like a mom's partner a, a lot of times, or were you able to kind of maintain independent older child? <laughs> That's kind of more of what I did, okay. to be honest. I mean, when convenient, yeah. like for example, when I wanted to dress my brother up in. Um, <laughs> random doll clothes sure. and things like that that I wanted to be a part of his life at that time. Yeah. And other than that, I was kind of like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't my kid. So there's a dirty diaper here. So here, mom. Yeah. What uh, yeah. what do mom and dad do when you're growing up for work and whatnot? Yeah, my dad worked in a uh, fuel purchasing department of a trucking company. Okay. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. And so looking back now at the Silicon Valley and the cost of living there, I think that was pretty impressive and pretty great Yeah. Uh, that she got to stay home. She was a nurse prior to that. Okay. And so, uh, yeah. But one thing I'll tell you is, you know, this is, of course, back in the day when we didn't have cell phones. And so my mom was on the phone all day. She was PTA mom and all this stuff. And so I remember calling from elementary school and getting the busy signal all the time, right? And just being like, mom, oh my gosh, like there's a massive <laughs> emergency. I forgot my trapper keeper It's at home. You need to bring it to school and you're on the phone. Like, how am I supposed to get through? You know, these were my problems back yeah. then looking back. So I had a pretty good childhood, I think. <laughs> That's funny because I remember, or I, I imagine that, I was about to say I remember, I remember your childhood, I was there. Um, but I, I imagine your mom going from like nursing is go, 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 fast paced, like you got to be on the ball. Yes. And while absolutely having kids at home is that same speed, if not more so sometimes, I imagine when you guys are at school, she's like, I got to stay busy. I got to find something to do. And she's probably that I would imagine that's why she takes on like the PTA and everything else. Cause got to do something. Yep. Got to keep busy. Yeah. And when she got into the political side, of course, of, you know, she was like school board president and stuff later, she used to go to Safeway like at 11 o'clock at night to do grocery shopping because she did not want to run into anybody she knew. Right. Oh, yeah. Because she would never get out of there. 
because people be like, hey, Jerry, we want to talk to you about this issue, you know, and she was like, ah, I'm just trying to buy lettuce. <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, you had like enjoyed your relationship with your parents and you got you had the little brother you were in and out of. Um, what is what does the rest of your childhood look like, you know, as you get into our favorite years, junior high and uh, high school? Yeah, so I was a church kid growing up. So I did the whole, you know, at church on Sunday, two services, midweek on Wednesday kind of thing. And then going into junior high and high school, it was all of the youth camps and um, true love weights and all of the kind of Christian evangelical um, avenues that one could participate in. I was into all of that. And I was also a choir nerd. So that was kind of uh, where I found my corner um, of the planet really in, in high school, because I just struggled making friends. And, and partially, I think that that was because of my like sort of multi-level marketing attitude about my religion, (laughs) you know, where it was like, Hey, you know, I'm supposed to be kind of recruiting people. So come hang out with me. And that's a real turnoff. Right. But I didn't really know that at the time. And so, um, yeah, once again, I kind of struggled with trying to find my place and trying to really feel a part of something and not realize well, I guess not realizing that I had uh, a responsibility in that, right? Yeah. And so um, instead of thinking, gosh, you know, maybe this is a little bit off-putting, this preachiness, right? I thought that there was kind of something wrong with them kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I struggled in that area to learn to read people and read a room and... um So when I got sort of that uh, feeling of camaraderie uh, with the choir heads, that was kind of a a good spot for me. I sort of found that, you know, it was kind of the island of misfit toys and nothing against anybody who I was in choir with back then. But we all kind of found that we had our own unique personalities going on. So but I never partied. I never did anything like that, I wasn't invited to those types of events. Of events, um, so really, I was still doing the church thing, also, and and just trying to deal with all my big feelings. So first, I was a choir kid too. I love it. Good job. Um, I just had the opportunity to interview my high school or my middle school choir teacher um, for the podcast, which that was like really cool. I was like struggling to call her by her first name, <laughs> like twenty five years later. Yeah, um, but. I'm curious about the religious aspect, the like the evangelical aspect, um, and if you can clarify, I guess both for me and listeners, I want to, you know, when you say Christianity, that is a large umbrella, um, and then, of course, evangelical is a its own sect of that uh, area. Yeah. So can you kind of, in your own experience, like tell me what it what it was like to be an evangelical Christian as a kid? Yeah. So in a way, uh, what really drew me in was having certainty, right? That was the big thing about 
my particular church growing up uh, was a Baptist church. And it was like, we have the answers to life. And here they are. And aren't you lucky, basically, because nobody else has the answers to life, just you. And so that created, um, not at the time, but looking back on it now, it created a little bit of a sense of arrogance uh, for me. But it was all about uh, knowing what was going to happen when we died, right? What what were the sort of delineations between a sin and a non-sin? Um, where to cross those lines, where not to. So it wasn't a guidebook. Fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, it wasn't super fundamentalist, like we didn't wear any uh weird, uh not weird, sorry, conservative clothing or yeah. anything like that, but it was just kind of this real sense of like Jesus is the answer for all. But what I didn't realize also was that that came with a lot of strings attached to like, uh, but we also need you to be tithing 10% of your income. And we're also going to ask you to, um, you know, volunteer this many hours and this and that. And so I found as my faith grew, that I had some pretty big questions that remained unanswered, but I just kind of covered them up with, well, that's where you're supposed to just have a lot of faith because that was kind of the tagline at the time. And so uh, even though I kind of felt a little bit inside, like, I'm not sure that this is totally working for me, Um, if I said that out loud, it wouldn't have been good. You know, I would have jeopardized my, oh, now we can't ask you to lead Bible study. And now we can't put you as one of the top youth leaders or whatever. And those things were important to me because again, it was this theme of really wanting to be a part of something and, uh, which I found later on, you know, um, through other various channels, but it's a theme I've seen woven throughout my life. I'm curious what it feels like. And I don't know if you can tap into like what you felt at that age versus reflecting back, but it sounds like there's these two things pulling like at all times, right? There's the, like you mentioned the, the arrogance of like, I know everything that I need to do to be good and what happens here and, and how to like, how to live life. I have all the answers. I mean, you have these people telling you that you're special, which like, at home, you know, a lot of par- a lot of kids get their parents to tell them that, but to have something outside of the home also telling you that um, can also add to that arrogance in, in some scenarios. But then you also have this like coming of age, questioning, wondering, like, am I doing this right? And so these two forces of like extreme confidence and extreme like insecurity pulling at each other. What is that? How does that show up in your like daily life at that age? Such a good question. And, you know, I look back and I have journals from that time, from when I was in elementary school and all the way up through high school. And you can see the struggle between those two things. And I think a main theme that jumps out when I hear this question is like, I never 
knew that it was okay to just be having an off day, yeah. you know, just kind of be in a funk. I thought that, you know, oh, well, if I am not happy and, you know, kind of joyous and Pollyanna kind of thing, then these people aren't going to come to know Jesus as their savior. And then that's on me. Then when I die and I go to heaven, you know, what are they going to say? They're going to be like, hey, you had that bad day and those people were really turned off and they didn't want to you know, become a part of this church. It's and, a lot of pressure. <laughs> and, and so, yes, a lot of pressure. So it was like the fundamental human experience of being a human was kind of, this is my, of course, interpretation of yeah. what I was being taught, right? But yeah. that that was not okay. You had to constantly be on and be, you know, up. And, yeah. um, and I remember feeling like there was something wrong with me or with the way I was doing my faith that I didn't always feel a hundred percent and that I couldn't really share that, uh, without consequences. And so, uh, I faked it until I made it. And one could argue I didn't really make it. (laughs) So, yeah, but I got used to just masking, right. And hiding in a costume and just kind of going, well, this is the role I need to play. That's what I was going to say. I I imagine you felt very inauthentic. Correct. Okay. Good Um, word to describe it. And like you said, you didn't party and stuff, but what does that rest of school then look like? And is college something that's like expected or on the radar when you graduate high school? Yeah. So college was expected. I went to a private Christian liberal arts school, like many of my um, fellow youth group graduates also. And uh, there I kind of continued my quest for finding my place in the world. And I kind of picked a Christian university because that's what people did from my church. And so uh, went there and, uh, you know, again, didn't really find myself in any kind of a group of people that were into drinking or, and I was super unlucky in love, by the way, had a few boyfriends, but, uh, just was really needy, Justin, really needy. Mm -hmm. Like I was that girlfriend who you did not want. Like that one who, yeah, elaborate on that. (laughs) Oh, if you were going to break up with me, I was devastated first and foremost. And all of this of course is because, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I didn't know who I really was. I didn't think it was okay for me to be who I really was, whoever that was. Um, I thought I had to be this persona. And so I was the type of girl who would drive by your house if you broke up with me. And I'd be like throwing rocks at the window like, oh, need me, want me. Like I was that person. Yeah. And so, you know, Sorry to anybody who I dated back then. I apologize. (laughs) But, you know, that was just who I was. I figured somebody else could fix me and had to be in a relationship in order for that to happen. And that I needed some kind of outside force to really show me who I was because I had no idea and I didn't know that it was okay 
uh, for me to find my own sense of self-love. Yeah. And I just thought that magically I'd wake up someday and, you know, that would happen. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you were raised on like validation being but, so important. And then these these guys that gave you that, if they took it away, I imagine that. Yeah, I I, I can mentally go to that spot where I like I've done in my younger years. Uh, and I say younger years because me and my wife will be our 17 years since we started dating this weekend. But wow. um, it's a. Uh, before that, like the shit that I would do when when people broke up with me, like just heartbroken and like driving by and stuff, I was like, yeah, relatable. Um, <laughs> it's it's very predatory when it's a guy. It's very funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> but it's uh, it it makes perfect sense. And and I'm I'm wondering though with the youth groups and stuff, were you ever were you ever flip 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 flip? Did you get that? Um, were you ever able to find camaraderie in in those insecurities with someone else that that felt the same, or was that a side that you were like, "I can't ever tell anyone else I feel this way"? You know, nobody was talking about it, which is so interesting to me. Well, it's because, also like run of the mill for most religions, <laughs> right? But now that we're older, yeah. it's so weird. A lot of us have come out of the woodwork and. A lot of us, sadly, um, are not sadly, I don't know why I said that, see knee-jerk reaction, but a lot of us don't attend a body of faith anymore, and we all kind of have some wounds from it still, yeah. uh, but we talk about it, and that's been so freeing just to be like, oh, really? Me too. And so I've actually reconnected with some good friends from back then. But, you know, these are the same friends who we were like in Bible study together, praying for each other, that we would just be able to show the love of Christ better and kind of like what was wrong with us and why were we not like sold out for Jesus today and stuff. And so in that sense, you could say we were kind of quasi authentic, but we really weren't yeah. because you know, there was that hole in our soul, that emptiness that um, I think we were looking to fill. And yet church wasn't really, it just wasn't kind of doing that for us long-term. Yeah. And we kind of were wondering, but is, you know, we're not doing this right or something because this is supposed to work. We're told it's supposed to work. Yeah. Well, so um, religion remains a theme in your life into college and what do you end up going to college for? And do you finish that out? Communication studies. Okay. And yes, I did. Um, and I am here to tell you that I just recently looked at my college transcripts Ooh. and I was like, well, this is interesting. Uh -oh. <laughs> I just had forgotten, uh, you know, prior to being diagnosed with ADHD, I had forgotten. It was a struggle, man. Like, you know, so I graduated with a 2.5, which is not, I'm not saying good or bad or indifferent, but some of the things that I had D's on my transcript in, I was like, 
wow, well, I can see that was time management and I'm not blaming, you know, it's totally my, my fault. I'm not trying to make excuses, but like, I remember where that building was and it makes sense that I did not make it a priority to go to the labs. You know, it was kind of one of these, like, um, yeah, it it put some pieces together for me, let's say. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) I, uh, I can relate to that. I graduated high school with a (laughs) 1.9. Okay, so then yeah. I didn't bother with college for the first 10 years. Um, <laughs> so what what happens after college? Um, and how does I guess I, I want to try to weave in where religion plays a role as as you go on too, because it sounds like it was such a huge thing when you were younger. And I imagine yeah. there's either a fallout or a dropout point or, or something. Um, and I'm yes. wondering if that coincides with anything yes. else. So, um, so I met my husband, I came home from college without an MRS degree, which was kind of unexpected at a Christian university. You usually leave with, uh, at least your first partner. Um, but I did not and came back to my hometown and met and married my husband five months later. Oh, so this whirlwind type thing. Um, and we were of that same religion and I saw in him, uh, a stability that I did not have and was very attracted to that, uh, just really sensed this kind of like, well, he's going to take care of me. Yeah. And I think that that was one of the main draws. I also just, of course, in my spirit felt very like this person is, is really significant. This person sees me in a different way than anybody else has. And so we get married, right? Um, I start teaching English, uh, at a high school, a Christian high school. And then we get pregnant with our first baby and move to Seattle and uh try to build a life together well we did build a life together but try and do that in a new place right so back in the silicon valley everything was my friends from growing up my buddies whatever family connections yeah and then here was kind of neutral ground my husband's australian and so everything was kind of neutral ground for him on this was he did he come to the u.s for work Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of neat because we yeah. had this time in our life then where we got to uh, just build a whole new thing together, make our own friends and build a family life and uh, a church life. So, of course, we got involved in a church community and met other young marrieds with kids and then kind of where everything started, like the screws started to come loose for me, was that this whole idea of who am I and what is my identity had kind of caught up with me in motherhood. And I really started to just go, I actually don't like this. I mean, by this point, I'm not teaching, right? I'm at home with little kids. Um, I had four uh, in quick succession, four kids, had some postpartum depression that was untreated. 
because why would I ask for help with having depression treated when I have Jesus? And so I should just be able to pull myself up by my bootstraps and oh, yeah. everything. And wonderful. add into the shame that a lot of new moms feel yeah. about like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel bad. I have this kid and I'm supposed yes. to be overjoyed 24 hours a day. <laughs> you got it. Nobody 100%. talks about it. Yeah. Well said. And so, um, and again, you know, it's just, it, you know, was kind of rough going to a place where you could share-ish but yeah. you couldn't really share because ultimately, you know, it was like, well, I'm really lucky. I get to stay home with these guys. I know a lot of people would love to stay home. It's a luxury. So with every feeling I had, it was like there was a quick shaming that I would do and it would come pretty much automatically. And then, um, so rewinding for a split second after my second kid, I had a miscarriage. So I miscarried my third baby. And I remember thinking, you know, in my grief, like this shouldn't happen, you know? So I started having these big questions about God, like, okay, yes, but I already have these two babies. So then once again, I'm grieving and shaming. Yeah. And so everything was kind of in this cycle of this let me have a feeling and then let me shame myself for having that feeling because I shouldn't feel that way because of this, that, and the other thing. So different than reframing because I didn't have that tool. It was definitely a, you shouldn't feel this way kind of attitude that I had for myself. Nobody was doing that to me. And of course, at this point, I wasn't seeking any outside care because again, I thought, well, I'm a church girl. I shouldn't need this. All I need is God. Yeah. And so, um, and it, can I, that, I, I just yeah, want, I want to make sure I'm not stepping on anything either. Um, just hmm. to like, what are your current religious beliefs? So I believe that there is a higher power and it's not me. And I feel like, I know this is going to sound weird, but the less I define God, yeah. the more I understand God and the more approachable I find God. So basically, my current religious beliefs are, I believe in God and I believe that God loves me and I believe that I have a divinity within me yeah. that is a mirror of you know, God's creation of who he makes and sort of shapes and polishes me to be. And by using the pronoun he, I just do that out yeah. of habit. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how it is for me now is that the more open I am to who God is, the better and kind of the deeper spiritual connection I get. Okay. Oh, yeah, I just, because um, I, I don't want to offend you in any way, so I didn't want to like... No! sit here and be like, all right, let's talk some shit. But I also don't, I don't want to do that either. Uh, but I, I, I sometimes get so worked up when I hear stories like yours, where people grow up with the, they're, they're just told like, don't worry, God fixes everything. And you're like, right. well, hold on. <laughs> like yeah. you 
to some degree have to be an active participant in your life. And, and, and that might require some, some work on your end or some like therapy or whatever, you know, whatever that might look like. And it sounds like you had that kind of thing told to you growing up because you got to a point where you're like, I just, I got to wait for this to just change because it's my fault. It's not happening. And it's, am I, am I paraphrasing that wrong or? No, it's absolutely correct. And so, um, like to fast forward just a little bit is I started using alcohol to deal with all of those big feelings and those big God questions. And that's when everything started spiraling out of control. And I thought, yeah, this isn't working for me. So I'm going to reach for external things to try and help me to feel better. Yeah. And that was my solution at the time. What's that sound? Is that a pitter-patter on the roof? No, it's Bravis Brewing. Non-alcoholic beers are available for you now, including Bravis's barrel-aged stout. You didn't think they could make a barrel-aged stout that was non-alcoholic, did you? Well, they did, and it's delicious. Spoiler alert, this is actually their fifth year doing it. I have been trying it every year that they do it. And for the love of God, please make it year-round, because it's just so damn good. In addition to that, you can get their peanut butter stout that I'm also a huge fan of, their uh, flagship oatmeal stout, as well as uh, a bunch of other beers that they do. Their hazy IPA, IPA Amber, um, they do special editions all the time, like their orange vanilla cream ale, which was like a creamsicle, was delicious, great for summer, but it's not summer, it's winter, go get some stouts. Can I say stouts? Not according to the FDA, but that's neither here nor there. Head over to Bravis Brewing, and use code friend request at checkout to save 10% off your order. What kind of Christmas present is this? It's a beautiful one. It's a healthy one. It's one that says, I care about you, but I want you to have good flavor in your beverages. Go to bravus.com, B-R-A-V-U-S.com and use code friend request at checkout one word and save yourself 10% on your next order. This is the best gift you could give to anybody who likes flavor and not alcohol, or maybe maybe they could use a cut down and you want to make a passive-aggressive uh, gift like that. Either way, it's up to you, but go to bravis.com, use code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout to save 10%. Keep your pants on, enjoy the rest of the show. Well, let, let me get some context. How old are you after your last child is born? So, okay, we would, I'm going to say mid-30s. Okay. <laughs> um, and... What is your relationship like with alcohol before you start using it um, the way I I assume you're about to tell me? (laughs) So uh, essentially, I could go to a book club, social thing, and have a glass of wine or two and not even think about alcohol until the next time. It was very, quote, normal, unquote. And um I never, I never had an issue with it. I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. You know, my parents occasionally would drag out the drug of Carlo Rossi, you know, from Payless. Oh yeah. I'm very familiar. Yeah. That's super funny. So, uh, it wasn't a thing, you know, I mean, my dad would drink an occasional Coors on a hot day. And so, 
Did you go to alcohol the same way that like some people go to self-harming where it's just like, I need to feel something different or numb the feelings that I have. And this, this does. I really thought I was just too much. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just was like, oh my gosh, I'm like my big feels. I can't handle them. I know other people can't handle them. So maybe I shouldn't feel so much. And alcohol really helped until it didn't. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So what what does that look like? Tell me about how that gets started and then gets reached it reaches its boiling point, so to speak. Yeah. So essentially, I finally felt like, oh my gosh, I've arrived. I found my peeps when we moved into this one neighborhood, which was sort of um, an afternoon party neighborhood, you know. And yeah. in the afternoons, our little kids would all ride, you know bikes and stuff in and the front the yard <laughs> right and so the mommy wine club thing was yeah. just in its like beginnings and we all thought we were kind of fancy and glamorous I should speak for myself I thought I was fancy and glamorous and uh, that I could drink wine in the afternoons with these ladies and be sophisticated and then I realized how great booze made me feel and I was like, man, if I'm folding laundry in the afternoon and the kids are taking a nap, I think I'm going to have a glass of wine because that seems really adult and it seems like something that should be allowed and I can do. And so I would. And so it grew from there, of course, as the progression does. Yeah. And pretty soon, you know, I had had a bottle of wine before I went out to meet those ladies in the afternoon and uh, just kind of spiraled. But it really, <laughs> it only took me like five years to get to that point where, I mean, I was in bed not knowing if it was six o'clock at night or six o'clock in the morning and couldn't function, yeah. but um, it it really, it took away my big feels. It was a great masker of all of those insecurities until, of course, it wasn't, and I realized I had just been running away from what I couldn't avoid, and really, at that point, had to walk through it. That was the only way to deal with it, was to get sober and walk through those feelings and be willing to open my mind that maybe I wasn't right. Maybe I couldn't rely on my upbringing, my religious beliefs to make me feel better. Maybe it was actually like something I had to figure out for myself and that that was going to be okay. And that took a lot of inner work, but that's a whole nother story. But well, I'm curious a little about that story because I'm wondering yeah. how have you been able to forgive mid-30s, Amy? Such a good question. You know, I was even talking about her now. It sounds like you weren't a big fan. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I really I feel sorry for mid-30 Amy's. Um I do. You know, and in rehab, of course, they did that thing where you're supposed to bring the picture of you as a child and, you know, well, you wouldn't treat a child the way you're self-talking to yourself and all of that. Um, But I just, um, I know now that at the time, I just 
I couldn't get traction, you know, I couldn't figure out what I liked, what I didn't like. I mean, it was all a fog of taking care of other people and, you know, wiping butts and trying to find fulfillment and purpose uh, and why that wasn't working for me and then shaming myself. Well, of course, now I'm like 47. I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. Of course, I wasn't finding fulfillments in wiping butts. Like that makes sense to me now. Although some people do find fulfillment in that. And I think that that's wonderful. Um, But for me, it just wasn't working. I just needed something else that was, um, you know, more within my wheelhouse and my skill set at the time. And I just felt like it wasn't okay. You know, I just, why can't I find joy in making mashed potatoes? And also, I kind of couldn't find joy in making mashed potatoes because I had this undiagnosed ADHD where I just felt like I was stupid all the time. And so that kind of I mean, this is a big ball of self, right? So um, that kind of added to it too, where I was like, geez, you know, I've got this postpartum depression, which I still think, yes, I had some untreated postpartum depression, but I think that the engine that really fueled that was undiagnosed ADHD. And so, yeah, um, once that was treated, which by the way, my psychiatrist was telling me to get tested for like from the beginning of when I got sober. And I was like, yeah, yeah. What do you know, old man? Um, (laughs) Of course, shockingly, he was absolutely right. Um, But he was like, I think a lot of the puzzle pieces will fall into place for you once you realize this. And of course he was right, because then I could look back at all this stuff along my life and just put these puzzle pieces together and just go, oh, yeah, I remember in, you know, second grade when I cheated off of Jocelyn's math (laughs) paper, it was because, you know, I felt like I should know how to do this math concept and I didn't. So I'm just going to act like I know how to do it. And I'm just going to, you know, copy off of her paper so that I don't get in trouble. Like it was all these, you know, things over the course of time yeah. and even identity wise. Like, Well, I, I, I'm glad you just said identity because I've been circling around that in my head. And I think people underestimate the importance of identity. And, uh, you know, I see this a lot, especially with, with new moms and like from, from what I see and I don't, I'm not like trying to mansplain motherhood to anybody, (laughs) especially someone with four fucking kids. But I, I see, uh, you know, that becomes a large chunk of, of your identity for a period of time because it is like, you know, especially if you're breastfeeding and like, that's just something that you're going to be that main focus of that child for most of their day. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's going to become a huge part of your identity, but whether or not you can get back or develop something new, that's just you. Um, mm-hmm. And then you start to see it later in life when kids are leaving home and going to college and stuff. And if you fully embrace this one version of yourself for that long, then people often find themselves lost at that point 
and trying to figure out where, where to go next. And I, I think it's so important to figure out who you are as a whole. And that doesn't mean that pieces can't take up that whole at times. That's part of life, but knowing that you still have these other things that are part of you. And yes. it sounds like that's what you kind of discovered and, and got back to. A hundred percent. And that it's okay, that it's totally normal, you know, to feel like, who am I now? Because you change so much in motherhood and you alluded to it, physically change, you know, mentally change, so many hormonal things happening. And then later in sobriety, I had four more kids and I thought, oh, I thought this was totally going to be different this time because I've got all this knowledge, you know, I've gotten sober and I've worked with all these therapists now and I'm supposed to be. Nope. But, you know, I still Wait. have those hormonal ups and downs. But the difference with the second four was I just allowed myself to just, you know, it's fine. You know, yeah, I want to stay home for four days in my PJs. Go for it. Like, whatever. Like this time ain't coming back. And if that's what I feel I need to do, no problem. If I feel like I need to take a shower and go out to dinner, let's make that happen. But I refused to guilt myself yeah. into feeling something other than what I was feeling or try and block what I was feeling. I just went with it. <laughs> Did you? So I want to clarify this. You have eight kids total? Yes. What Eight. the shit, Amy? Are you starting a fucking band? What is going on I, over there? I oh my hope so. God. I hope I'm starting a band. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty unconventional in this day and age and, you know, in this area and stuff. So Well, you said the first it, four came uh, quick. Yes. So I, I imagine they're uh, they're venturing out a little bit now or starting to. <laughs> Yeah, so I have a senior in high school, a oh, freshman man. in college, and a junior and senior in college. So um, it's kind of wild. And then you're like, you know? I, I'm ready for round two, four more. Four what? more. So now I've got a first and a second grader and oh a God. fourth and a fifth grader. So it's been wild, you know, but it's never boring. I'll tell you that much. How do you have time for anything? <laughs> because <laughs> uh, yeah. i'm talking to you i mean i know we haven't talked about it yet but like i know you've written multiple books you have like yeah. the podcast like how do you do anything that's um i was speaking about identity and and doing stuff but like i i this whole time that we've talked i just kept putting the same four and four i didn't realize it was four and four <laughs> yeah. so holy shit um i know Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, but again, I think it's the ADHD. It is a plate spinning yeah. that I don't think would be possible if I didn't have oh, yeah. it. So that literally, you know, you hear people say like, oh, ADHD is my superpower. But I really think it is because I just, I'm able, I wouldn't say I do it well to some people's standards, but I don't really care because I'm like, I'm not worried about their standards. Yeah, yeah I used to be. Yeah. But now I'm just like, this works for us. And as crazy as it sounds, 
when a couple are missing, you know, gone off to college or, you know, having a sleepover at someone's house, it just doesn't feel right. It's kind of like, oh, you know, they're not here right now, those two. And um, yeah, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm curious, kind of transitioning to the ADHD stuff. And I like the metaphor of plate spinning because it reminds me of when I'm doing a lot of things, I feel like I am I am doing them all, hopefully well, but I know if I stop and try to f- like think about the fact that like if I try to place them all in their own little boxes and like think about it, it's almost like this continuous loud humming that like is fine, but if I focus on it, everything will fall apart. Yes. <laughs> does that make does that is that relatable? A hundred percent. Um, does yeah. that feel overwhelming at times? Yes, at times. <laughs> um, and then I just, how I get through that is I've now learned to ask for help. I didn't do that before. And I have learned that, like, that's the best ever because yeah. people want to help and um, they're kind of waiting for me to say something. And So when I do, it's been like, that's the best ever. I've become kind of this master delegator. And there are still things though, that I'm like, geez, I don't know. You know, like that trip to Greece that we've been meaning to plan like for next summer, like that shit just ain't getting done now, is it? And like, I know how to actually do that, but I haven't put it in place. Yeah. So I still have those things that are outlying, oh, yeah. right? That, um, yeah. you know, are yeah. just kind of Familiar. a pain like any normal person. <laughs> um, when did you get yeah. diagnosed with ADHD? So pretty much. When, so I got sober in 2011 and it was within the first two years of that sobriety. So by 2013, okay. um and so, yeah, I started it's been you know, sober 12 years and yeah, knew, known about ADHD for 10 years and yes, been wildly productive in that time. It sounds like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think too, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best. My calendar looks like a big fat mess, right? Like I've got Google reminders popping up all the time and stuff. But the truth of the matter is for me, like, I'm sure that my kids will be on a therapist's couch someday going, you know, my mom was so crazy and we never had a routine and routines are like so important for kids. And I know that. So then I'm like, oh, yes, sorry. But the truth of the matter is, I figure, you know what? I don't know. I can't give you what I don't have. I'm not great with those kinds of things, but you're welcome to be. And I'm happy to help you get that routine or that set up into your life kind of thing. And I think it really helps me not to micromanage my own kids. So I have so many of them, but I also give them the freedom to be and find out and discover who they are and share that with me instead of trying to like, I'm going to create some nesting dolls and they're all going to be the same. And, um, you know, like an example is two of my kids are, um, 
like select athletes and and that's a world I never knew about growing up. I was like, you don't want me on your volleyball team because I'm going to screw it up, which was facts, big facts. But, um, you know, hey, if you want to research this and you want to find out when the practices are and where and you want to go through the 75,000 forms to sign yourself up, great. Like, you don't drive, so I'll commit to you that my part is I'll pay the registration fee and I'll get you to practice so it's more of a it's more of a partnership. I mean, yeah. I'm not like a friend parent, but I kind of <laughs> am when they get older. Um so yeah, I'm I'm winging it. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I stay in constant open communication about it with my husband and with the kids and we just kind of work as a team. Yeah. And we kind of figure the shit out a little bit. Did you have like did you incorporate religion into the first four when you were growing up because they i mean sounds like you were still deep into that area um how has that played out since you've separated yourself a little as the parent well now um i am very encouraging of a spiritual connection and that's basically what i tell them um Some of them, actually all of them go to schools that have religious affiliations and they have chapel and stuff. Uh, But aside from that, we don't have a church family anymore, a church home anymore. Uh, We have friends still from that, all of those institutions and arenas, Christian institutions. Um, but we're like, hey, you know what? Go for it. Yeah. You know, you want to be involved in Christianity? Great. I mean, I'm beyond fine with them. And and both my husbands and my families are still heavily involved in church. And so, I mean, I get it. I speak that language. And for many, many years, of course, I was doing the same thing. So yeah. we're very encouraging of like, whatever works for you, um, you know, do it, go for it, because we all kind of need something, you know, that that grounds us and keeps yeah. us going, or at least a seeker's perspective to being open to things. Yeah. I, I like that. I'm uh, I'm curious when you got sober, did you have to have some hard conversations, like in the realm of apologies with the first four? I did. I had, uh, I did a fourth you know, step, um, and then a fifth step. And then by the time I got to making my amends, I mean, these kids, you know, they were like 10 years old and younger and they had been, this is my first four had been in the car when I got my DUI. And so it was really important to me, obviously to sit down and do like a face to face amends with them. And, you know, kids are amazing, right? They're so resilient and they're just like, all four of them were like, uh, I forgive you. That's, that's cool. Like, and just went on with their day kind of thing. But here's the cool thing is that over time, it has really opened the door for me to have amazing conversations with those kids about drugs and alcohol, about spirituality, about, um, 
all kinds of different deeper topics that I might not have had the opportunity to have those conversations had that not have all occurred. And it's a special bond that I share with those first four kids. And then my second four are kind of funny because they're like, they sort of know enough about my story, you know, that they're like, oh, I'm never drinking alcohol or I'm never, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but you're welcome to have your own opinions and it's okay if those change. So. Well, it sounds like you are a wonderful mother. (laughs) So thanks for that. Um, I want to make sure that we give some space for you to uh, talk about the two books you've put out and uh, how you came to like decide to do that. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you. So in 2021, you know, we just had had the first year of the pandemic and I wasn't driving kids around to practices and stuff. And so all this free time, (laughs) I had free time. And And what does someone with ADHD do with free time? (laughs) It sounds insane. Um, but I did, I had free time, my words. Yeah. And so I did that. And then I wrote, so that was eternally expecting. What was it like to give that to the public? You know, uh, my hope was that it would just help open doors and just be another, you know, we've got so many Quitlet memoirs that are so wonderful. And I wasn't really sure if anybody else um, had, you know, eight kids and was in my position, (laughs) but it doesn't matter because, you know, it's just another Quitlet book, really. And I don't mean that to be negative, but But really, the intention of that is to show it kind of doesn't matter, you know, when you're passed out um, from drinking in the morning and you can't go, you know, listen to your kids uh, chapel prayer. um, You know, we're all the same inside all of us drunks who've been in similar positions where we can't embrace life because, you know, our substance use or our drinking um, use has really just gotten to that point where it's devastated our daily lives um, and just broken us as human beings. That's the connection point. So that was my hope in bringing it forward to the public is like, hey, you know, alcoholism, as we all know, or um, substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder, whatever your term is that you want to use, it's not the person with the trench coat under the bridge and the brown bag. You know, it's all sorts of different people from all sorts of walks of life. And that unites us when I can share that with you or not you, you, but you in general and (laughs) the general you. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And what, Um, uh, and the second book is, um, yeah, it's eternally awkward. And so that talks about ADHD and, um, (laughs) yeah, and putting those pieces together. And so it's not a, you know, I do not have or ever claim to have any expertise in that area. I am not a doctor. It's purely experiential. It's another part um, 
of nonfiction that I wrote that's just a memoir that talks about my learning disabilities growing up and how uh, that affected me and how it came to fruition as an adult and how it's empowering to be diagnosed and figure out, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You Reframing know? like your entire life through a different exactly. lens. And allow, yes. Yeah. I imagine it allows, and I'm, I'm projecting, but I imagine it allows for some forgiveness in areas where you just like felt bad. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's cathartic, you know, just yeah. kind of like getting it on paper and just going, yep, that makes sense, you know? And it also makes sense why I would have reached to alcohol or outside people to, you know, hey, somebody heal me, fix me, you know? It makes sense. And I think that the more, you know, we get those messages out there that it's okay not to be okay and it's okay not to feel okay, you know, it's just empowering to know There are other people who don't feel okay and that's fine and they made it. And now, you know, it's kind of like being a a weirdo is, you know, is okay. Like, you know, everybody's all right. (laughs) Amen. Right. (laughs) And that, so in addition to the two books, you have your podcast, Eternally Amy. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think everything is over at amylizharrison.com. Yes, (laughs) exactly. Uh, yes. It's, you know, why not? Eight kids better write a couple books and have a podcast. Sure. <laughs> why not? Right? Wild. Um, I appreciate you coming and doing this, though. It, it means a lot. And I also appreciate you having me on your show. Um, I re-listened that conversation. I was really happy with how that turned out. And hopefully oh, uh, some ew. people listen to it. And like I said, you can find everything on you and the show and the books at amylizharrison.com. Yeah. And, uh I'll get all the tags and everything going when I put the episode out and we'll be go from there. Hey, Justin, thank you so much for the opportunity to come on here. I just really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I, it. I love hearing Super. short eight kids. I'm still getting over that, but I know. <laughs> good for you. Thanks. Makes me yeah. feel empowered. <laughs> good. I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, and I will, yeah. I'll talk. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right. You just listened to my interview with Amy Liz Harrison. I'm still... <laughs> the I, I We recorded this week, weeks ago, but I'm still like eight kids. Holy crap. Um, was everyone else following along on that and just being like four, 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 eight? Um, I, when I got there, I was like, wait, what? Uh, and then to be able to divide it up, right? Like this big thing in your life, like four kids with alcohol, four kids sober. Um, like, fuck man, as a, as a mental health practitioner, I want to, do psychological studies on them later in life be like let's figure out you know the different effects um such a great story and and the things that she's been able to accomplish and i can tell you as like someone with adhd completing one book 
was one of the hardest things I've ever done and I didn't even fucking publish it, let alone completing two and publishing it while having eight kids. Like what the fuck? It's amazing. Um, and you know, even there, there's an aspect of financial support that comes into mind, right? Like what does your husband do? What do you do? How do you like just supporting eight children takes an amount of money I can't even fucking fathom. But then all the uh, extracurriculars and stuff like that. And even that aside, like you can give me all the money and it's still a factor of time and focus and energy. And I'm just like thoroughly impressed with the amount of stuff that somebody like Amy can accomplish with like the limited resources of time, (laughs) time alone. Uh, so bravo and she's doing some really cool stuff so definitely follow along on her stuff amylizharrison.com and head over to i just updated because i mentioned in this episode i was like shit i gotta update that part of the website uh you can head over to justinlammusic.com and check out all of my guest appearances including my spot on amy liz harrison's podcast eternally amy and there's six other spots on there and i i know i've done more and i apologize if you are a podcast host and I've done your show and it's not on there, send me an angry email, bro. Cause I, I, uh, I will tell you why. Can I tell you why? Cause I don't take full responsibility for this. I did a search for my name in podcasts and you know who it came up? Justin fucking long, bro. What is going on here? I'm going to give him a call. And by that, I mean, I'm going to call his podcast and I'm going to say, what is going on here? Because that is screwing up a lot of things for me. You search Justin Lamb in any podcast app, you get Justin Long. Guess who has more views and listeners? Justin fucking Long, guys. He's a celebrity. He's got a podcast. He's got movies. He's in Goosebumps. What do you want from me? I'm a, I'm a humble man that's trying to be a therapist and run a podcast. Jeez Louise. Um, I know there's an ad in the middle of this for Bravis Brewing. So go check that out. But I wanted to reiterate because I'm so excited about their barrel-aged stout that's coming out you know there's a couple flavors from alcohol that i miss that you don't really get in non-alcoholic beverages one of those um, is a single malt scotch which to this day you know you can't there's there's no replacement for that because like part of that experience is that like little burn i mean if you're drinking it correctly and you're blowing the alcohol off the top and and it's it's sipping um, there's like one time I've actually twice, actually my 21st birthday <laughs> that I got drunk off scotch. Scotch was more a, an experiential, experiential, that's not a word, experiential beverage. Um, but then the other is that distinct kind of bourbon flavor in a barrel aged stout and holy shit. Like, and I said this last year, if you guys follow the beer reviews and if I'm, if you don't want to hear about non-alcoholic beer, I mean, podcast over, but if you guys follow my non-alcoholic beer reviews and stuff, it's crazy, which if you don't go over to SoberCurator.com, you can click on Happy Every Hour. I've done over 100 different beer reviews. I'm trying to do some on TikTok now. But anyway, uh, the bourbon barrel aged stout from Bravas, it's called Gravitas. This is Gravitas 5. They've done a different iteration every year. And it started out, um, I believe year one was a little maple Year two was a very maple-y. <laughs> uh, year three might have also been very maple Like, 
you know, very sweet. The maple's a good flavor in that combo, but it was very strong. But then last year, whatever they did, like hit the fucking nail on the head. And every year is one of those years where I'm drinking it and I'm like, am I a hundred percent sure there's no alcohol in this? Uh, but last year was just the fucking cat's pajamas, the bee's knees. It was so fucking good. And so I'm super pumped. Um, so pumped, in fact, that if you're still listening to this, you should know that I will be interviewing the founder of Bravas, Philip Brandis, um, coming up um, pretty soon. I don't know if I'll release it on friend request or not. Kind of depends on how the interview goes, I guess. Who knows? The world's my oyster. It's your oyster. The world is an oyster. Full stop. And yeah, I'm excited to do that. And I am glad that I have continued my relationship with Bravis and that they've continued their relationship with me because I'm not always nice about their beers. I don't like every beer I try. And I think honesty is the best policy when it comes to reviewing something. You don't want to be, you know, one of those websites that some nerd gets mad about. There was a joke on a podcast I listened to recently. We were like, hey, how come IGN doesn't rate anything below a seven? Um, I'm not a big gamer, but I'm sure that's true. And that's a funny joke for gamers. But it's true, right? Like, if you're going to rate shit, you got a full scale, you better use it. Something's got to be a one. You got to know where your bottom is in order to find your top. You know what I mean? And that is not just, uh, that's not just a gay joke. That's also for anyone, uh, subdom, uh, rating systems. I could go on for days, but I won't. Uh, it is, it is December. It's officially December. So no matter what you celebrate, happy something, happy Hanukkah, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, happy Boxing Day. Let's go all the way to the end. Fuck it. Um, thanks for being here and thanks for listening. And I will talk to you later. You know, it's funny. This episode was less than an hour and then I just kept fucking talking. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. I am nearing the end of one thing and the beginning of another transitional period lots coming up in life maybe in the podcast maybe maybe all around starting a nonprofit there's a lot of things happening very excited about it how are you guys i don't hear from people super often i get um messages on instagram and facebook that fuel me for my lifetime from people that have gotten so much help out of this podcast. It blows my mind and I love it so much, but I'd love to know how you're doing. Um, you know, I send me, I'll tell you what, I recently came into a lot of postcards. So if you send me your address, whether that be on Instagram or Facebook, or you can email Justin's friend request at gmail.com send me your address. I'll send you a postcard and we can be pen pals. And that's it. If you're a former friend request guest and you're also still listening to this, I've been talking a long time. I am doing a gift exchange exclusively for friend request guests, guests. Got a couple dozen signed up. It's going to be a good time. So if you, uh, didn't get the link, check your spam folder. 
check your Facebook messages. I don't know. Keep your pants on, take your pants off, send your pants as a gift. Either way, that's a good time. Okay. Nearing the end. Gonna go. Bye.